In the early morning of July 1991, something was on the railroad tracks on the outskirts of Williamston, North Carolina. But that something turned out to be a someone. Why was he there? I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and over the past year, my investigation for the latest season of my show, Counterclock, has plunged me into the details of a mystery so big and so bizarre that it feels like fiction, but it's not. It's reality. And the reality is that while my investigation started as a look into one man's suspicious death, what I uncovered is a web of small-town secrets, a string of other crimes, missing people, and so many other suspicious deaths. These are all things that I think many have tried to keep hidden. Do not go looking for answers. I've had to rethink everything I thought I knew about where I'm from. That somebody is somebody's plural. Listen to Counterclock Season 6 now, wherever you're listening. Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun. FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. I think we had had those Metallica tickets affixed to our refrigerator for three or four months at least. Yeah, it was a big deal. Morgan and her friends were really excited about going. I helped her pick out her clothes and get dressed that morning and thought it was going to be a concert. It was not going to be a murder. I'm Scott Weinberger, investigative journalist and former deputy sheriff. I'm Anasiga Nicolazzi, former New York City homicide prosecutor and host of Investigation Discovery's True Conviction. And this is Anatomy of Murder. Before we begin, we just want to give you the warning that this episode contains not only depiction of homicidal violence, but also sexual assault. Do you remember going to a concert that you were super excited about when you were young? You know, that rush of the crowd pouring into the venue, maybe holding on to your friend's hand so you didn't get separated. Just that anticipation of lots of people, fans, everyone gathered together, maybe ready to dance to your favorite band. On the night of October 17th, 2009, 20-year-old Morgan Harrington was at a concert arena in Charlottesville, Virginia. She and her friends were finally going to see Metallica play live. Morgan decided to quickly run to the bathroom before the show started, but she never made it back to her seat. The next seven years were spent piecing together what had happened to Morgan and how a fun night with friends could go so horribly wrong. 
Before she went missing, Morgan was in her second year of college at Virginia Tech, which is about 30 miles away from her hometown in Roanoke. For today's episode, we spoke with Jill Harrington, Morgan's mom. I always say that Morgan was like champagne, that, you know, she was bubbly and fun, and when she was around, it was a celebration. Jill's father had been in the diplomatic corps, and she grew up in the Middle East. But schooling options there were limited, especially for women, so as a teen, she moved to the United States. Our only contact with the U.S. was we would come on leave every two years and spend about a month in the U.S. visiting relatives. So this really was a foreign country to me at that point in time. Jill ended up thriving in the States. She studied to become a nurse and later connected with a doctor in residency. We dated for about four years before we got married. I think it took him that long to decide I was the woman of his dreams or else he got tired of running. (laughs) And the rest, as they say, was history. We have been married for 38 years. He's such a sweet man, I'm really lucky. Shortly after marrying, the Harringtons had a son. And two years later, their daughter Morgan came along. The family of four thrived in the picturesque town of Roanoke, Virginia. Roanoke is a lovely community. We've got the mountains, we've got water, we've got hiking trails. It also has more of a sense of community than any place I have ever lived before. You know your neighbors. Morgan and her brother, in many ways, had an idyllic upbringing. There was a family dog, a Yorkie named Spike, that Morgan loved to cuddle with. They had cousins living in Europe that the family visited on occasion. And every summer, the Harringtons joined a big group of friends at a beach house in Virginia's Outer Banks. It's probably 40 years that we go every year for a week at the beach and all get a big house together. And those kids of some of the other folks are like cousins, probably more brothers and sisters. And I can just picture one of those big houses on the shores of the Outer Banks, just filled with the sound of kids just, you know, flying in and out while the parents can know that they're safe, but still having their own grown-up time. And they do say that our memories are built on childhood traditions, at least some of our best ones. And so those summers, I can imagine for Morgan being some of those amazing seminal childhood memories. Morgan was a charismatic girl with a tight group of friends. She showed promise as a young artist and once painted a beautiful self-portrait featuring her big, bright eyes and blonde hair. She loved, loved, loved music. Would like to go to music festivals with her friends. So that love of music is a thread that runs through many parts of her life. From Barry Manilow to Bob Marley to Metallica, Morgan loved it all, and she had the CD collection to prove it. As her high school years were ending, Morgan was accepted to both the University of Virginia and Virginia Tech. Her older brother studied at the University of Virginia, but Morgan wasn't sure which school she wanted to attend. I think it boils down to if you happen to go on a sunny day and there are kids throwing frisbees and a dog running around on the grass, you say, oh, this is the one. And the other, <laughs> the other place, it was gloomy and raining. So she really enjoyed Virginia Tech. It's a great school. Morgan went off to study at Virginia Tech, which was about an hour's drive away from home. 
she was kind of a homebody and she came home a lot. She would come in the door and snuggle with the dog and, you know, here's the laundry, what's on TV. She liked that access. Passing off the laundry to your mom, cuddling with the family dog, all the types of pastimes of kids visiting home from college. In the summer of 2009, Morgan was really coming into her own. She finished her first year of school, decided on a major, which was childhood education, and got a summer job at the hospital where her dad worked. I think there is a transition from a more childhood role into an adult role with your parents. And working with her dad and seeing him in a professional setting, I think catalyzed some of that growth. Also that summer, Morgan and her friends bought tickets to a Metallica concert happening in the fall. I think we had had those Metallica tickets affixed to our refrigerator for three or four months at least. Morgan and her friends were really excited about going. Now, Scott, we have to just sidestep to talk about what is your first memory of going to a concert? Because for me, I can remember, and I'm dating myself as always, but I went to the Go-Go's with friends. It was back with, I think it was uh, my Lips Are Sealed tour, and I just remember it very clearly. My parents took me with my little brother. Oh, boy, I was just going to ask you if you remembered, like, any songs from that era. But, I mean, yeah, we're dating ourselves here a little bit, but I do remember my first concert. It was here in New York City at Madison Square Garden, which is an epic venue. And I saw Led Zeppelin, and it was just... an incredible experience to see a band, you know, that you listen to on so many records for so long to see them live. So I remember every song. I remember how I felt seeing them live, seeing them just a few hundred feet from me. So it was a fantastic experience. When the day of the Metallica concert finally arrived, Jill helped her daughter decide what to wear. Just think about like going to any concert. We all know that the outfits are part of the fun. Certainly I can tell you in present day Taylor Swift, it's all about what you're going to wear. And for Morgan, it was too. And that in some ways dominated the pre-planning. I helped her pick out her clothes and get dressed that morning. She chose a purse that was one that can be switched to a backpack because she didn't want to put her purse down on the seat and be dancing because that wasn't safe. She wore leggings, a mini skirt over her leggings. And she finished her look with a black t-shirt that had the words Pantera across it, which was a reference to another band. And with that, Morgan was ready to head out. She got in her car and flipped down the visor and fixed her lipstick and then leaned out the window and said, Bye, Mom, 241, which is kind of our family logo of I love you too much forever and once beyond forever. And then she drove away. And that moment was the last time that Jill ever saw her daughter alive. Jill went to church the following morning, which she did most weekends. And when she got home, her husband said that the Charlottesville police had called. Morgan's purse with her wallet, identification, and credit cards had been found in a lot near the concert arena. They were expecting Morgan home in the next few hours, but Jill had a strong feeling that something was wrong. That was the moment where the elevator dropped from the top floor to the basement because no woman relinquishes her purse. If Morgan had lost her purse, she would be on the phone right now mad as a wet hen about having done so and we would be canceling her credit card and all those things. 
So Jill almost immediately began calling Morgan's friends, hoping to figure out where her daughter was. And they told her what they knew from the night before. Morgan had left before Metallica came on the stage while it was still like the warm-up band to go use the restroom. She then somehow ended up outside of the venue, which had a strict policy against readmittance. When she hadn't returned from the bathroom, her friends called to check on her. Morgan had been texting on her phone a lot during the concert, but after she left for the bathroom, she answered her phone once because they called her repeatedly saying, where are you? And she said, you know, she's outside. They wouldn't let her back in, but she would find a ride home. And it was now hours later on Sunday, and there was still no word from Morgan. Jill knew that she just had to do something. It was so completely out of character for her daughter to not show up at home and not to call that Jill decided to go to the police. So typically when you report a missing person of someone who's over the age of 18, some jurisdictions do give a grace period before they'll actually begin an official investigation, just in case the person happens to show back up. But Jill was convinced that this was not like Morgan's personality at all. And she was able to convince police of the severity of Morgan's disappearance. And I'm sure it began with the words like, I know my daughter, this is not the norm for her. She would never do this. So that heightened the opportunity for them to begin looking for her at that very moment. They started gathering information from people who had been at the concert to try to build the timeline of Morgan's evening. Morgan had fallen on the way to the bathroom, apparently because she was seen by another concert attendee in the women's bathroom who was a nurse, said Morgan had, you know, a gash on her chin and seemed disoriented. And the woman remembered Morgan because, again, as a nurse, she had actually helped her with that cut in the bathroom before Morgan left. That's something police had to consider. Did that fall have Morgan walking out of that bathroom disoriented and ended up outside the venue and really not clear on where she was? It's a possibility. Morgan's friends had called her at about 8.48 p.m. when she told them that she was stuck outside and wasn't going to be readmitted. Morgan was last seen alone and looking for a ride around 9.23 at Copley Road Bridge near the arena. The new details were helpful, but they didn't really lead anywhere. Another two days passed without a word from Morgan. I mean, you, you really are in shock, but pretty quickly, you know, we knew Morgan was missing and that something bad had happened because you wouldn't run away from Morgan's life, you would run into it. So we knew she had not run away. Then another clue. Morgan's phone was found in a parking lot near the concert venue, although the phone didn't hold many clues. So now it was even more disturbing to know that Morgan was somewhere not only without her purse, but also without her phone. Let me just sidestep for a moment here and talk about process in a missing person investigation in a venue like this. With so many potential people that could have spotted Morgan at different locations in and around the arena, police were really able to firm up a timeline and really get a sense of her movement initially. But then you have the flip side, which is this is a tremendously large crowd, and all of these potential witnesses scatter in a matter of minutes, and it would be really difficult for police to locate all of them while their memory was as fresh as possible. 
So it's a very difficult situation to be able to not only begin the investigation, but be able to really gain a lot of intel from it. And while investigators did the best they could to ID as many witnesses who may have seen Morgan, one thing is clear, something was definitely wrong. The best case scenario was that she was being held against her will, but as the days mounted, you realize more and more that most likelihood is not that she is being held against her will, which is a horrendous situation to be your best case, but that, that she was dead. The days turned into weeks with just very little information coming in. But then, about one month after Morgan had gone missing, police got their first big clue. I've always said that information is powerful. So I've got a question for you. Have you ever had the feeling that someone wasn't being fully truthful with you when you needed to do a gut check because you're pretty sure something wasn't adding up about someone's past? Well, you should turn to Truthfinder. Whether it is a neighbor or a random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by their phone number, address, name, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. If you're on a dating app, you need to be on Truthfinder as well. Truthfinder helps you identify potential threats so you can avoid them and protect yourself. I found the website at truthfinder.com easy to navigate with lots of smart tools and shortcuts. Critical information could be just a few clicks away. Go to truthfinder.com slash anatomy for a special anatomy of murder offer. That's truthfinder.com slash A-N-A-T-O-M-Y to access your special offer today. We're heading into spring and warmer temps often mean more travel on the horizon. If you're going somewhere where the language is not your own, how great to learn some before you go. Enter Rosetta Stone, the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. Rosetta Stone immerses you. You can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. I'm hoping to get to Europe this summer, and I've been using Rosetta Stone to brush up on French and to learn a little bit of Spanish. It's easy, intuitive, and I love that I can learn on the go with Rosetta Stone's app right on my phone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. It is available on desktop or can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Anatomy of Murder listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash anatomy. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash anatomy today. A month had passed since the last time Jill Harrington saw her daughter Morgan. Then police called with a big development. They had recently found a black shirt with the name Pantera on it. It looked like the shirt Morgan was wearing the night of the concert. 
It was found by someone at the University of Virginia's fraternity row, literally draped over a bush, a place that hundreds of students pass by every day. And as the first real piece of evidence, or at least clue, to Morgan's whereabouts, police had to consider why it was there. You know, this is certainly a big find for sure. You know, was it a clue about the direction of travel? Did somebody find it and pick it up and then just drop it there? All of these things have to be considered. But what was for sure was it was the really, as you said, Anna Seeger, first potential lead. And it also raised a whole bunch of possibilities. And one of those possibilities, Scott, and I know it's something that you and I have talked about offline at times, is like placement. You know, is it like you said, that it was in the direction of flight? But again, this is found some time after Morgan had disappeared. And being that she was a student at a big university, that here it is literally there for all the kids or young adults to see. You almost have to wonder, like, was the perpetrator putting it there almost, you know, as a clue or almost as like, here is this thing I want you all to see? There was someone so sure of themselves that they put a trophy right under your nose. That is disturbing to me. It was thumbing the nose, definitely. And, you know, we're thinking about why it was there, but let's talk about what potential benefits law enforcement can get from it. I mean, they were able to take the shirt, send it to a lab to test for hair, blood, DNA, anything that could potentially lead them to Morgan. So while it's really an important find, the psychology of why it was there could be left for later. But now we've got maybe some potential evidence here. It was possible that the shirt just might be the clue that would lead them to Morgan. But the lab testing was still going to take time. So it was clear to the Harringtons that they had a long road ahead of them. And it really wasn't very long until the Roanoke community rallied around Jill and her family. Neighbors told them to expect food every day at 5 o'clock for the near future. And when you're part of the Southern Lady Casserole Brigade, you don't realize how helpful it is. When you are the recipient, boy, it came in awful handy. Their neighbors even went so far as to give the Harringtons a menu of the food for each week in case the Harringtons wanted something different than the various community members planned to serve. We would have been fast food all the way because there was no way that we had the energy or fortitude to go to the store to cook something. It was touch and go for the first several months. You know, Scott, just hearing this, like, this really is the ideal when it comes to being neighborly and a caring community. Yeah, a little goes a long way. I can't tell you the number of times I've seen these situations where they don't think about food when they're looking for someone, looking for their loved one. They don't think about eating. They don't think about sleeping. And then when you have all of these neighbors, some of them they may not have ever met or seen or spent time with, coming to their aid is a great thing, and it's always heartwarming I know when I saw it in my days in law enforcement, to see these people coming together and helping at this great time of need. As months went by, even while this family had in many ways lost out hope, her father still held on, at least in this way. Since the day his daughter had gone missing, he kept a bag of Morgan's belongings in the back of his car. He had said at one point, now when we find her, she's going to need something soft, so let's find, you know her soft sweatshirt and the pair of PJs that she likes and some slippers. And so he kind of packed a to-go bag for Morgan that he kept in the car all the time. 
And you know, Anasiga, when I heard this portion of the interview with Jill, I had to sort of take a breath. I think her words are so powerful. And I also think it's such an important piece for us to put into this episode and not to make all of you feel incredibly sad, although I'm sure it does to you like it did for us, but also to show you some of the things that people don't talk about that survivors of the missing, the abducted, or homicide, whatever these serious crimes may be, the type of things that are swirling in their heads day in and day out. But on January 26, 2010, three months after Morgan disappeared, a farmer had been inspecting fences on his property 10 miles from Charlottesville. He spotted what he thought was a deer carcass. When he got closer, he realized it was actually human remains. They were Morgans. The Harringtons got that phone call that they had suspected but never wanted to receive. And they both instinctively knew exactly, immediately, where they needed to go. It was a visceral response. We both flew over the mountain to be closer to Morgan or find Morgan. But there was no rush. You know, she had been dead for some time. The area where Morgan was found was taped off as a crime scene, but Jill just wanted to be close to her daughter, who she had last seen over 100 days prior. It was difficult because it was a primitive visceral need for us to go there. They said, you can't, you can't go, it's a crime scene. And I said, you know, I'm not gonna go beyond your yellow tape and make a scene and there have been media people there all day. I want to just go and and be in that spot. And they said, oh, you can't. I said, yeah, I'm her mom, I can. (laughs) Said, if you go, we'll have you arrested. And I said, well, you have me arrested. I ain't going to go easy and it's going to be on TV. And Scott, even hearing her talk about it, you could just get that, right? It's like, it's the worst news in the world, but at least that is physically where her child is, you know, whether it is remains or whatever shape she's left and they just want to be there. I could totally get that the way that she talks about it, just needing to be as close as possible to be with her. Absolutely. I mean, if you think of it as this, you know, it's a working crime scene and giving forensic investigators an opportunity to gather evidence that benefits all involved, including the chance of bringing Morgan's killer to justice. But obviously on the flip side, we completely understand the reason why families want to be close to their loved ones. But it's really super important, striking a balance between the two is just really important. You know, we've dealt with these families, we know what they're thinking and what they're going through. Obviously their emotions are high, but a balance needs to be struck. And so often families will say that they understand why they weren't let in for the investigation, but at the end of the day, it is still their child and emotionally how much they needed, whether it is to see or to be there. So it is this very difficult push and pull between the two. But out there that day, investigators were busy at work processing the remains and anything they could find in the vicinity. Morgan's remains had been found with several items of clothing missing, including her boots, leggings, and underwear. An autopsy showed several fractured bones, including her ribs. Her skull had been fractured, 
and that had happened shortly before or at the time of her death. The medical examiner determined that Morgan died of homicidal violence of an undetermined origin. Basically what that means is that the medical examiner doesn't know exactly what it was that caused the death. Remember, her remains had been found much later. It was 100 days after she had disappeared. So while they can say it was due to homicide, remember, she had just up and disappeared. And based on the various injuries that they found, they know it's homicide, but they're not going to box themselves in, if you will, to a specific cause because they're just not sure. The Harringtons were able to eventually visit the site where Morgan's body was found. A year later, I did go. It's the only time I was there. I did want to go and touch that ground and see, you know, was she still alive when she was there or was she dead already just dumped there, you know, like like a, a deer carcass in the field, you know, was some of her hair in some bird's nest around there. I don't know. Jill's words are heavy, including some of the literal things she was thinking about as she went to the place where her daughter's body was found. And, you know, sometimes we debate about the parts that we put into these episodes to what we keep out. But this one in particular, you know, it's an important thing that they were able to go back, that they needed to go back to the place where Morgan may last have been alive. But we also want all of you to get just that additional perspective of the reality of homicide and what's left for those in its wake. So once Morgan's remains were put to rest, Jill turned her focus to finding the killer and making sure no other girl would suffer Morgan's fate. We wanted to share the story really to show that this can happen to anybody. It's so easy to other and say, oh, well, it couldn't happen because we live in this nice place. But that is a fallacy. And we wanted to make that apparent to people so that young people and families would take more steps to protect themselves. Jill felt so strongly that based on where Morgan's shirt had been found and her remains where they were, that her attacker had been someone local to Charlottesville. You know, we knew there was an apex predator in Charlottesville, Virginia, and people wanted to move that idea aside. It was self-soothing to think that maybe it was someone with the band, because it couldn't have been someone from Charlottesville. And, you know, Scott, we talk about this type of thing all the time, you know, geography and a predator or attacker, how that can fit in. Yeah, it's about really building a profile, not just with location or geography, but actions, right? There are two main focuses in building a criminal profile. It would be derived from your crime scene and your autopsy. What makes the characteristics of this specific crime scene distinctive? The way the victim is killed can provide insights into the killer's personality or behavioral traits. Like a disorganized killer may leave a chaotic crime scene while an organized killer may leave it cleaner, something that's more staged and appears to be staged. And those are the things 
Anasiga that really go into developing your criminal profile, which could lead you down different paths in trying to find your suspect. And that's exactly it. All these things are being done to hopefully identify the who and then next the where. But police were just hitting wall after wall until then a major development. The lab had finished testing and processing Morgan's shirt and released their report. Several hairs had been found, including hair belonging to a dog. There was also a bloodstain on the front of her shirt. And from that bloodstain, they found DNA that was not from Morgan. From Morgan's shirt, actually, they did find DNA. And when they told me, I said, so what is it? Is it semen or hair or what? And they said, no, it's small amount of blood on the front of the shirt, which was unidentified DNA. Unidentified DNA. While not giving an identity, it still did prove very important. Not in the way you might expect, but it would link back to a case from years before. jewelry is kind of like a dream scenario, whether you're buying for yourself or purchasing it for someone else. But the actual shopping process can be a bit overwhelming and you don't want to feel unsure about such a serious buy. Well, Blue Nile offers thousands of independently graded diamonds and fine jewelry at prices significantly below traditional retail. They also offer peace of mind with every purchase, with some of the highest quality standards in the industry. And they have something for a variety of price points, from diamond tennis bracelets to casual huggy earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are on hand 24-7 via phone or chat to help you with everything from technical questions to budget suggestions. And you can feel good about adding that item you've been eyeing to your cart because Blue Nile also offers 30-day returns and a diamond price match guarantee. I've repeatedly shopped at Blue Nile. The website is easy to navigate, the selection is fantastic, and the pieces I've purchased have always been exactly what I was hoping they'd be when they arrived. From everyday gold hoops to pieces with a bit more sparkle, like the floating diamond pendant necklace I'm wearing today. Experience the ease and convenience of shopping at Blue Nile, the original online jeweler. Go to BlueNile.com today. That's BlueNile.com. Voters know that bad weather, like storms, lightning, and wind, can turn a fun day on the water into a challenge. But what if you had satellite-delivered weather data giving you the full picture of what's around you, even when you're offshore and out of cell range? With SiriusXM Marine, get up-to-date weather and fishing info directly on your boat's display. Plus, you can add SiriusXM Entertainment. Visit SiriusXM.com marine to learn more. The bloodstain on Morgan Harrington's shirt had DNA that was found in another equally shocking case. That DNA in the databank hit on another case with unknown DNA where the same person had abducted, raped, and almost murdered another young woman, but was interrupted before that homicide was completed. The crime at the center of this case had eerie similarities to Morgan's, and it happened 
just 100 miles away in Fairfax, Virginia, four years earlier. On a fall evening of 2005, this woman, who we will only identify by the initials RG, was walking home from a bookstore in Fairfax. Near her house, she passed a man on the street who asked her about her address. Something felt off about the interaction, so she hurried towards her home. But the man ran after her. He was much larger than she was, and he managed to actually pick her up and then dropped her onto the cement. And what happened next is truly the thing of nightmares. He violently dragged R.G. to a nearby field where he sexually assaulted her. As the attack went on, R.G. bravely fought back, digging her fingernails into him. The attack stopped when a passerby heard her cries for help and started to walk over. They found R.G. covered in blood and looking what was described as nearly dead. The attacker ran and was never found. She was taken right to the hospital where a sexual assault kit was done, and that included scraping underneath her fingernails for any potential DNA. It was this DNA that was a match for the DNA on Morgan's shirt. Jill was horrified and enraged when she learned about R.G.'s assault and its connection to Morgan's case. This has been a long time. The same person has been abducting, raping, and trying to kill, and sometimes being successful in killing. So that inflamed us more because we knew he had a pattern, and we didn't know who else he had done this to. The pattern was becoming clear. Both Morgan and R.G. were young female students attacked in the fall when school was just restarting. They were both walking alone after dark, and both attacks were extremely violent in nature. You know, as we heard Jill talk about earlier that she just had it set in her mind that this attacker of her daughter just had to be somewhere local. But now we have a predator linked in two different attacks. And so I just think to talk for a moment about how location can fit in. And there's a lot of research that's been written on serial offenders and the places that they choose to commit their crimes. And I started to go back and look at it actually earlier today when prepping for this. And I thought this was interesting from Scientific American. And they talk about how serial offenders typically have what they call a comfort zone as an area that they're intimately familiar with and that they like to stalk and actually hurt or kill their victims in those areas, which is often defined as this almost anchor point, you know, this area that they are very comfortable in. And that crime stats actually show that these serial predators will actually be using areas that either near where they work or live, and that those first attacks are very often very close to those locations, places because they are comfortable and familiar with the area. RG was able to provide one more crucial thing, a detailed description of the man who attacked her. It was helpful because that young woman had been able to help develop a composite sketch of her rapist, and that is the sketch that then was enhanced. And she did a really good job, but that also gave us something to work with. With the knowledge of RG's case and the sketch of a predator, Jill did everything she could to raise awareness and to try to find out who he was. You know, have you seen this face? Have you seen this man? Have you served him a cup of coffee? Because 
he's around here somewhere. And actually, you know, and I would say, please call the police with, if you have any of your instincts, trust your instincts, call the police. There was also a non-Virginian who reached out to help, James Hetfield, the lead singer of Metallica. Hi, I'm James of Metallica. Back in 2010, our band offered $50,000 to help catch the person responsible for murdering Morgan Harrington. Since that time, authorities uncovered new evidence linking her killer to a similar assault on a woman in Virginia. That is part of a public service announcement that he released and that can be found on YouTube. James had actually called Morgan's father in 2009 and offered to do anything they could to help. And he told him, as fathers, we are outraged that this has happened and we want to do whatever we can do. So as Jill was spreading the sketch of R.G. and Morgan's attacker, the Metallica frontman was too. If you've seen the person in this sketch or have any information about this case or any others, please contact your local police or submit your information online. Remember, any information, no matter how small you might think it is, could be that crucial piece investigators need to help solve the case. The Harringtons were grateful for the high-profile support. They could have stepped away and kept silent and been concerned about liability, but they reached out with compassion immediately. And we are really grateful for what they did. But even with Metallica's support and added publicity, years went by without any other developments. One would think that the Harringtons would potentially lose hope of ever finding their daughter's killer. Now, Anasiga, you've spoken before about your cousin, who was hitchhiking on Long Island and was picked up and ended up being murdered. Any correlation that you see with the disappearance of Morgan? It's not so much with the disappearance of Morgan, although I do see correlations there too. But I think, you know, in here, it just made me think a lot how people process and handle their grief differently. You know, my aunt and uncle, they lost their only child. And so for them, they completely withdrew and they literally grieved inside the four walls of their home and they really remained silent. And that's all they could do to literally survive where you have the Harringtons that were just so vocal from the beginning. And I look at that both about their inner beings and the people they were and also the professions they came from. It all mixed to make it how they handled their grief and what they needed to do day after day. Both being medical people, We had had a lot of experience in problems in the hospital and codes and stuff of putting your emotions on the back burner and taking up the task at hand to the best of your ability. And we were really able to compartmentalize a lot of those emotions and do the work at hand. And it really is Jill's profession herself, which really had helped her through this time. She's just not a medical person. She's an oncology nurse who works closely with cancer patients each and every day. People often, you know, will say, how can you do that? It's so depressing. But it is such a privilege to work with patients and so many lessons in courage and love. And it's crazy that we have to really be rocked on our heels to relinquish some of the barriers that we almost automatically raise between people. You have likely picked up on this on your own by just listening, but Jill definitely has this remarkable perspective on life despite everything she's been through. 
And when there is something catastrophic that occurs, you are forced to lower the barriers and experience intimacy because there's no time for facade any longer. There's beautiful times in it and there's great sorrow as well, but it is a privilege to participate in any kind of intimate relationship like death. So Jill, despite the immense pain of losing her daughter in the most horrible of ways, carried on and she never gave up on finding the killer. Each year to mark the anniversary of Morgan's disappearance, she would head back to the Copley Road Bridge. And I would stand on that bridge, which was the last place Morgan was of her own volition and has become kind of a sacred space memorial to us. I would stand there and say, no, no, this is a local boy. He knows what's going on. He knows his way around. He knows how to hide. And he's hiding in plain sight. And think about it. The clues were all pointing to exactly what Jill had been saying. The person that killed Morgan and that had attacked Argy must at least have been somewhat local. Predators, they establish their own territory. They don't drift. Well, they, once they're found or they get afraid, maybe they, they switch towns. But to be a predator, you have to blend in. And you don't blend in in a strange place. You blend in at home where you know the ways of the land and how to look and act like everybody else. But years passed. The man in the sketch remained a mystery. And then everything Jill had been warning about happened once again. In September 2014, we hear the gut-wrenching news that there's yet another a vibrant, athletic, smart co-ed is missing from Charlottesville. She's 18 years old and had just begun enjoying her second year at UVA. And her name was Hannah Graham. On the next episode of Anatomy of Murder. Somebody listening to me today either knows where Hannah is or knows someone who has that information. We heard the story and said, oh God, no, not another, not another. Please, please, please help end this nightmare for all of us. My God, everything lines up, it's him. This is the face of the monster who killed Morgan. We are sure of it. I don't need to wait for the DNA. It's him. Tune in next week for another new episode of Anatomy of Murder. Anatomy of Murder is an Audio Chuck original produced and created by Weinberger Media and Frasetti Media. Ashley Flowers is executive producer. So, what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? Voters know that bad weather, like storms, lightning, and wind, can turn a fun day on the water into a challenge. But what if you had satellite-delivered weather data giving you the full picture of what's around you, even when you're offshore and out of cell range? With SiriusXM Marine, get up-to-date weather and fishing info directly on your boat's display. Plus, you can add SiriusXM Entertainment. Visit SiriusXM.com Marine to learn more. The living room is where you make some of life's most beautiful memories, but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. 
The new life-resistant high-performance furniture from Ashley Store is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley Store's high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, comfortable, and easy to clean for more mess and less stress. Shop the life-resistant high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.